Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash dreamjob. Start living a better life today. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So I have something pretty cool to tell you. A few months ago, we did a workshop on how to ditch your day job. What are the essential steps that are going to give you freedom from your day job? And I thought it was really cool. It was one of my most favorite workshops I've ever given. So I wanted to make it available for you. So if you go to kathyheller.com slash freedom, you can get this workshop for just $27. It comes with the whole workshop video as well as an awesome workbook. So you can start taking action and moving the needle forward on being forever free of something that just doesn't light you up. All you have to do is go to kathyheller.com slash freedom. I hope you love it. People seem to really enjoy it. And I just feel like this is something that I'm so happy is finally out there. These are the steps to ditching your day job. Go to kathyheller.com slash freedom. All right. So today we have not one, but two amazing powerhouse women joining us today. Rebecca Minkoff and Allie Wyatt are here. Rebecca is an award-winning fashion designer, podcaster, author, and co-founder of Female Founder Collective with Allie, who's also played an essential role at startups and lifestyle companies like Goop and Refinery29. Their Female Founder Collective is a community to support and empower female-owned businesses by giving them access to resources, networks, mentorship, and so much more. They have over 9,000 members, and the companies in the collective have raised over $15 million in seed funding, which is insane. They also recently launched the 10th House, a new membership-based platform to super serve startup founders and help them reach their pie-in-the-sky goals. It's really cool, and they're going to tell you all about it. Plus, we're going to talk about Rebecca's podcast, Super Women, with Rebecca Minkoff and her amazing new book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. You guys will definitely want to check out both of those after you listen to this interview and stick around because Rebecca shares an exclusive little gift just for our listeners. You might also want to listen to the end because we created a beautiful workbook based on the biggest lessons from this interview. And this is just like a free tool for you guys. I'm going to share more details on that later. Rebecca and Allie are both just inspiring and gracious. I love how they uplift each other to break through their own resistance. And they're doing such beautiful work to help other women get the support to soar to new levels. So without further ado, please welcome the amazing Rebecca Minkoff and Allie Wyatt. Rebecca Minkoff and Allie Wyatt, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having us. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Um, we're so happy to have you. You are the people's people, my people's people. You gather women together. You help women see what's possible. And then you've both in your own right done a lot of very cool things. So let's start with you, Rebecca. What in the actual heck has happened? You melt people's face off with what you do and what you make. And it's like this, the whole branding behind and the quality of it. How did it even happen in the first place? Yeah, for sure. I had a chance encounter with my sister-in-law where I was wearing this I Love New York shirt that I had cut up and DIY'd back when that was a thing, pre-Etsy days which is not a thing anymore, you know, looking like you made your t-shirt yourself. Um, And a really well-known actress requested one and she wore it on Jay Leno shortly after 9-11, even though I sent it to her pre-9-11. And back in the 2000s, if you said someone's name on TV, that was enough to turn them into a household name. And she did just that when he asked her about it. And 
the rest is definitely not history, but that was a catalyst that allowed me to get my name in the door, you know, allowed me to call boutiques and have them not hang up on me and show them my goods and go door to door and sell my wares like a good old fashioned girl and pave the way for the bag, which came out four years later. First of all, that's just amazing. There's definitely mazel in it, but it's also, you did the thing first, which caught someone, you know what I mean? It's like right place, but no, you had already done this cool thing that somebody noticed. But then can we talk about where does the name of this bag come to you from? Like, it's so good. It's, it's almost too good. I don't get it. How does someone get that kind of inspiration and then actually do something with it? So I knew that Daily Candy, which was, if, if anyone here is a, what are we called? A geriatric millennial. Um, <laughs> Daily it. Candy was the newest, hottest, latest one email when that was still novel, when you were excited to open up your inbox and they were writing an article and they confirmed it. And my good friend and I were brainstorming, like, what should this bag be? And I was like, this is the bag that you do your walk of shame with, <laughs> right? I was 26. I desperately wanted to have a one night stand. It was not happening for me. And sex in the city was the rage. And I was like, where's my Mr. Big moment. This bag is going to signify that let's call it the morning after bag. And it was perfect. And it hit, you know, with that zeitgeist at the time and made an impact. And and we became a milestone moment brand. Maybe that's not the milestone you want to achieve as a woman, (laughs) but we became a brand that was really about these firsts for women. I love it so much. I feel like, first of all, two things. One, I want the audience to get that so much of why we buy things is because of how they make us feel and the story that's being told. And that is the most know your best friend story that we all secretly want to tell. And you just did it so well. It, It makes you so, so relatable. And the second piece of that being relatable thing like I just had busy Phillips on yesterday and she had the same thing where it's like, it goes a long way when you are unapologetically going to just be what you are. And if you go through the aisles of your favorite, whether it's Neiman's or blooming, like that is going to stand out for so not to mention it's gorgeous, but I just love that you were just like, hi, this is who I am. And it's all in a bag. (laughs) And it works. And I love women who are listening and men too, but I love people really hearing that because we make it more complex than it needs to be. We make it harder than it needs to be. And we're actually losing the whole point, which you clearly continue not to. So I just think, yay, let's clap for you. It's awesome. So now we're going to come back to you. I don't want to leave Allie out because she's right here looking so pretty. Allie, so- You were doing simultaneously having your own life adventure, doing other cool things. Tell us about that. And then how on earth you met Rebecca. So my background was really in and sort of helping startups, really culture shifting brands find their footing, but also to monetize themselves. So lived a lot in the media world, spent time at L.com when it was the dot com thing was like so innovative. So I went over to lead that initiative and then ultimately found myself at Refinery29, where I spent many years. And from Refinery29, I went over to Goop when Gwyneth was making it sort of a real business, bringing it from London to Los Angeles. And then I left for 
personal reasons, we were moving around a lot and um, I couldn't actually be in headquarters, which was in LA at the time. And uh, I started consulting and I came across Sophia Amoruso and she had this brand girl boss that had been born out of her book, girl boss. And she wanted to do something with it. And she was trying to figure out what, and so we put our heads together and, and eventually launched a company girl boss. And we ended up parting ways a couple of years after we started that venture. But at the time I had seen, there were so many women starting businesses and they were these phenomenal women. They were super talented. They had degrees upon degrees, or if they didn't have degrees upon degrees, they had more hustle than I'd ever seen. They just, they had this innate ability to create products, solve problems and build these companies, but they didn't have the network. They didn't have the capital. They didn't have the connections that ultimately help us all to succeed and grow and, and scale. So when I left Girlboss, I felt like that was sort of the person that I was leaving behind. And simultaneously, Rebecca had launched Female Founder Collective. And we had met previously through another group that were in Hey Mama and sort of bonded over being working moms. And, but I had actually seen Rebecca on the, the floor of a bathroom at Cannes. If anybody's familiar with the advertising world, she was at the Cannes Festival and she's sitting there and she was pumping in the ladies lounge that Shelly Zalasos there. <laughs> and I was just blown away. And I thought in my head, like, that's a woman that I want to work with. Like, it's somebody I so admire. Like, that's the kind of mom I want to be where it's just like nothing's stopping you. You can be both. And so when she launched Female Founder Collective, I reached out to her and we started conversations around where Cazelle and what partnering could look like. I'm so happy right now. Can I just interview the two of you for the rest of the shows? This is all I want to do. This is it, you guys. Like what you're birthing in the world. This is why I do this damn show. I want there to be a thing, which I don't have. You have, right? Like this membership for women, we're going to get into it. This female founder collective. This is the moment where we decide we can pump and hang out and not have to choose between like, I've been doing the things. And like, I'm the one who picks up the kids from school. I'm not going to sacrifice that. Right. And I still get to make money doing something that feels fun. I'm not going to work for that person over there. So let's move now back to Rebecca. We'll go back and forth. So when she says, so I knew Rebecca was doing this female founder collective. Tell us what the heck it is. Tell us where it was at that point And then what you guys grew it to be. Yeah. So 2018, I was coming back from maternity leave. I was definitely on a speaker circuit reemerging out of three months away. And every single woman on stage would talk about the gender gap, wage inequality. And I was like, well, this isn't working. No one got paid more money because a woman talked about it on a big stage. Right. And I was increasingly also lonely as a founder. I can't talk to my employees about what's actually happening. You know, they'll run. I can't talk to my best friend about what's happening because she can't give me any helpful advice. God bless her. Um, and so I thought, you know, there has to be power in community. There has to be power in the idea that a consumer should be able to know who they're supporting. So if you can walk an extra block and go to a female founded coffee shop instead of Starbucks, and you could do that all over the country, that would make a lot of difference. So I decided to launch it very humbly 
around fashion week. Cause I knew I could get a lot of media attention and coverage and very quickly went from zero to 3000 members. And I was like, Oh, this is a thing. People want to be a part of the community and they want to recognize a seal that they can shop and support women. And then Allie reached out and I knew Allie from the times that she describes us meeting, but also we would talk about her and what she was doing all the time. And so when she reached out, I was definitely, I tell her, like, I was as nervous as our first phone call, like I was for a first date with a boy, because I was like, I got to impress her. She has to do this with me. I can't do this without her. So we dated and she had, you know, an incredible foresight that women need education in order to succeed. And so we really built it out as an in-person and digital education where founders are teaching founders. We're teaching all the unsexy stuff. We're never going to tell you how to take a selfie. We're going to do the nitty gritty, how to fundraise. Um, What do you do with the funds when they come in? What is your, you know, CRM platform? What's your marketing go-to-market strategy? And so Ali has been instrumental in, in really making sure that the founders that have learned and fought and survived are passing it on to other women. And so we, we've we just launched an incredible community called the 10th House, which Ali can talk about, which is our newest baby. And we're excited that we can just support and uplift more women. It like makes me emotional. It makes me think of my grandmother who wasn't able to finish fifth grade because that wasn't a thing. And now that we don't, thankfully have that circumstance. Like we have to rise for those people who like, we stand on the shoulders of giants. She didn't have that option. And she was like this amazing artist. And I asked her before she passed away at 96, like, what do you regret? She's like, I wish I would have had a business and been an artist. Wasn't in the cards. So it makes me emotional. Um, So let's talk about the 10th house. How can people participate in it? And what is it? What's the promise of the 10th house? So the 10th house is sort of a supercharged community of what we had before. We started to see the sort of most common things that were coming up. As Rebecca was talking about, it was oftentimes around capital or where do I go to raise? What types of funding can I get? So we really wanted to create a platform that could at scale match these founders up and enable them to find one another first and foremost by stage by industry, by geography. The other thing that I'm really excited about is when you're building a business and you're a founder, you're sort of expected to be an expert in every single aspect of the business because that's otherwise you might not survive, right? So we wanted to create an entire sort of library of resources, sort of like Angie's List, but that were vetted by the founders themselves and tagged to their industry, to their stage, to their geography. So that if you're looking for a CRM platform, you can actually go in and see what somebody else who also has an e-com company that is for beauty and is around the same stage, like what they recommend. The other thing is, is we have been able to partner with these incredible corporate brands like Squarespace and UPS and Klarna, and they're all offering really advantageous prices, no matter how small you are of a business, so that you're able to access things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to access unless you were a major corporate. And then Rebecca talked about education before. Education is so paramount. So we have on-demand education where each week we're putting new things out and it's based off of what we're seeing in the community, but that lives in an evergreen library that you can access where we have 
experts that we've worked with before and have a certain degree of success who are teaching things like building your financial model or how do you build out your personal brand? Just these very nitty gritty things that we all have to come up against and ultimately master that we wanted to have readily available. So we have different levels of membership that people can access, but it's an ecosystem that's all going to hopefully contribute to your success. Yeah, absolutely. James Clear, when he was on the podcast, you know, he says the most important of the atomic habits is who you spend time with. We become the people that we are around. And so, you know, being around the people and you can collapse time and space, right? You, you don't, you don't have to go through all of the wrong things until you find the right thing. If somebody else has already done it and can share that information with you, that's extremely valuable. So I want to ask you a couple of these big questions because I think it might be fun for them to get a sense of, of what they actually need to know now, right? So Rebecca, back to you is what do you think is the most crucial thing to being able to start your own thing? That's a great question. I think that the skill that an entrepreneur needs to have hands down, basic, basic, is how to figure things out or how to find the answers. We're trying to provide the answers at Female Founder Collective. But if you work for someone, you only had to be good at one thing. And the minute you're an entrepreneur, you're like, not only do I have to make the donuts, which I can do in my sleep, but I got to market them and ship them and invoice them and whatever. You have to know how to very quickly expand your knowledge base until you can bring on someone that's better than you at that particular skill. So how does one learn how to figure things out? You have to be nimble and quick and you know innovative and ask the right questions to the right people and they can't be general. Can you help me? No, I can't help you. But if you give me something really specific, I can. And then I think we all have to go into this with this expectation of not everyone gets to be a unicorn. Not everyone gets to go to the moon with their brother. And there is nothing wrong with a small, and when I say small, a small business in America is up to $20 million. So there's nothing wrong with a small, profitable business that funds your lifestyle and makes you happy. And do not get on the Kool-Aid train of, I've got to be a billionaire and I've got to be the next big thing. And I got to raise a hundred million dollars. Like you can be an incredibly productive, successful company. And I know many of them who just stood the course, they were true to themselves and they have great lives. So don't get caught up in the magazine covers and the, all the millions and billions that people are making. Cause we don't, it's not all for us. Yeah. I want to take out the highlighter and highlight that for everybody. <laughs> Cause that was so empowering. So let me ask you one more question. Then we'll, we'll go to Allie. Another question about that is I often hear, and the through line to me, I always say it's, this is not a business problem. This is a courage problem. Like they'll be like, well, do you think that would work? And I'm like, did you test it? I don't know. Right. Like we had Barbara Corcoran on. She was like, did you test it? Will somebody buy it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like I have all the answers clearly, but my question to you is how can you shed light on the simple piece of how do I get my first sale? Right. Like if, if I'm just keep thinking about this and thinking about this and thinking about this, but the name of the game is I need to actually see if this is a thing. What's your advice about that first 
first specific thing, making your first buck? Well, I made my first buck because I convinced a gentleman to take my blouse on consignment. And then I ran home and I printed these homemade postcards and I went to Union Square and I passed them out. And I said, you should go check out this designer. And then I'd call the store like, any sales? And he'd be like, yep, we sold one. And I was like, all right, that was 40 postcards. Okay, so if I want to sell two blouses, I need to do 80. And I started keeping these graphs in my apartment. And I would apply that methodology to not just sales, but how many editors do I have to email to hear back from one? Or how many customers, you know, and so I began to look at all these things as sort of math equations. And then there wasn't a motion in the rejection. It was, this is a numbers game. And so you're going to pitch to a hundred venture capital firms to get one, or you're going to have to send out an email or a postcard or whatever to 6,000 stores to get five, whatever it is. Once you know what that number is, you just keep replicating it. So go, go far and wide because it's going to take that. I just saw the highlight reel where I've now repeated you saying that over the next seven years, like a thousand times. So thank you for that. <laughs> that's been, that's already done in the quantum realms. It's already happened. Um, okay. So Allie, if you want to chime in, so you go ahead and do this. And, and, and Rebecca's like, that was brilliant what you just said. And, and I'm not surprised that you had the moxie to go ahead and make that be how you started. Makes sense. I could see that. The thing that winds up coming around that is the other piece, we can start with Allie. And then if you both want to weigh in, I'm curious what you'd say. People have this thing called perfectionism and they won't let it go. Like I might make a fool of myself. The guy might think I'm dumb or someone will reject me. And I am going to convince myself that the way around that is to have this perfect thing first. There is a hardwired need in human beings to protect ourselves from pain. And this thing called, I will make it perfect or I won't make it is keeping everybody from having the actual life that they really want. So what do you say to someone who's just trapped with that kind of a, a feeling, the fake news, the thought in your mind that you have to make it perfect? Well, the funny thing, Kathy, is that this is me, like to the T. I'm a Virgo. <laughs> and if you guys know anything about the different signs, like Virgo is imprisoned in their own mind of like constant need for perfection. And it's something that I grapple with every day. I would say two things to that. One, find a partner who is going to yank you off the cliff. Like Rebecca's the cliff jumper. And I'm like the person who's like, oh, wait, we've got this and this and this and this and this. And, this. and I've always partnered with people that are the cliff jumpers. And as soon as I'm off the cliff, it's like everything magic happens in that space. I love it. Um, and you figure it out. And that's like where you become the most creative. That's where your grit is. That's where your hustle is. And so it helps to have somebody who can give, give you a little shove or surround yourself with a network that feels like they are the parachute. You know, mm-hmm. that was a name we contemplated for 10th house because we wanted the individuals that were inside of the community to feel like your golden parachute, right? Yeah. Where no matter what you were doing, you could have the courage. You might feel fear, but you could jump because you know, you were, you were going to be okay. Right. But I give myself deadlines and then I'm just like, now you jump. Like you just got to go, you've got to ship it. You've got to turn on that thing. Even if it's 
imperfect. What's so fun is the process of learning and iterating. And imagine if you're never able to take that project, that company, anything to market, how much worse you would feel than that feeling of fear that you had of doing it. So I, I think it's a struggle for a lot of people, but those are two methods that Love it. really helped me. Love it. Two strong answers. Rebecca, what's your answer? I think you said it perfectly. It's fake news. <laughs> what Name one thing in nature that's perfect, right? Nature is imperfect. And so for us to assume that we're going to get it all perfectly, I's and dotted and T's crossed is just setting us up to fail. It's like when we talk about trying to have balance, Like, well, who thought that word should be applicable to working women or non-working women or anyone, frankly. So I think you just have to go like, nothing's ever going to be perfect. You know, if you want to look at the most successful companies in the world, let's just call them in technology. They're constantly putting out imperfect products. And then they give you an update that fixes some bugs. So if that's how they became unicorns, apply it to your life, you know, end of story. Send out an update when you fix it. That's so true. We're all like happy that there's like iPhone number 614 rather than being like the camera wasn't perfect on number one, right? I love this conversation, but before we keep going, we're just going to thank our sponsor. I've had lots of moments when I felt stuck or not my best self. And for me, talking it out with someone really makes a difference. That's why I love services like BetterHelp. BetterHelp assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist so you can connect in a safe and private online environment in under 48 hours, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. It's easy and free to change counselors if you need, and BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. They even have financial aid available. BetterHelp is not a crisis line self-help. It's professional counseling. Anything you share is confidential and you're going to get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and send a message to your counselor anytime. I'm a big believer in therapy. I've been going to therapy on and off since I'm 15 and I think it's great that BetterHelp is making this available to everyone, whether you're struggling with anxiety, depression, grief, trauma, relationships, we're all dealing with so much and taking care of your mental health really should be a priority. So start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash dreamjob. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash dreamjob for 10% off your first month. Thanks, BetterHelp. This is the next question for you because, and I love that I can ask this to the two of you because you didn't make a choice between doing something you love and starving, which is what people think, or doing something you hate and making money. You did something, you both have done multiple somethings that you love and you do well. So here's the question, because this is another big one that I hear from specifically women every day, which is who would I be to charge people and charge a lot? Like there's a buyer at that price. There's scarcity out there. I know what's out there. People can't afford a a cup of coffee. Like there's like this, like nobody can afford it. And I would be gross to charge period and to charge a lot. Like, oh my God, the amount of shame that women have around charging and charging a lot for the value of what they do, they're going to vomit. I could never, I'm going to throw up. That's what people say. I'm going to throw up. There's no way. No, no, forget it. You know what? I know I tested it. I know people want it. I got to the point where I actually could charge for it. Forget it. So 
how do you help people understand that they're not doing something wrong and bad and horrible by charging and actually charging at a high price is not make you even worse of a horrible person so that we can just freaking go. We don't have to have that be so in the way. Cause Rebecca, the last time I checked what you sell, it's not being sold at JC Penny. Like it's an experience and that experience is going to cost what that experience is energetically. Help us understand that because there's a lot of shame and guilt wrapped in that, that keeps women from rising. Yeah. I think that Allie's going to have to take this and I'm going to tell a small story about how she's the best suited to give this advice. But when I was working on a partnership opportunity for the podcast, I was asking her like, should I charge this? Should I charge this? She's like, you're going to charge this. And I was like, that number makes me want to vomit. What if they say no? And she's like, they won't say no, just throw it out there. And I literally sent the email and I did want to vomit. And I was like, Oh, I, you know, I, all the things you just, and they came back. They're like, sounds great. Also don't forget, we got to pay for your plane ticket and the hotel room. And you're like, I was like, easy. What? So now I just throw numbers out there that make me want to vomit. And I hang out with people like <laughs> Allie who don't even blink when they throw numbers out like out there like that. So I don't know where Allie gets this from, but she's got it. And there's no doubt in her universe when she throws these numbers out there. So she's the best one to describe how you get there. I love it. And I love that you literally said the exact same thing that I hear, which is I wanted to vomit. That's like the go-to thing <laughs> for girls. So Allie, tell us, what gives you the wisdom and the certainty to say that to your friend? What's behind that rationale? Well, I, I think for me, I'm not just throwing numbers out there that I'm like, well, that sounds good. You know, and I think that's where the, I feel like I'm going to vomit comes from because it comes from uncertainty, right? But if you have certainty that what you're putting out there, one is in line with the market, right? So do your research, figure out what are other people who have my same experience level charging or what are other people that are, you know, have around the same audience that I have charging? What are other people that sell the same product? What are they charging? And then think about your value proposition. Think of what you're going to be offering. Think about all of the things that you're putting into the business and Ultimately, if you feel like the value that they're getting in return for the price, the value is actually higher, then you're going to feel good about that number all day, every day. And you have to sort of go through, it's the same thing with what Rebecca was talking about with sales. And I've started my career in sales and it is a math equation, right? And it's going to be the same thing, honestly, on price. Now, if your conversion rate is way below market, and you can find that research online and by talking to people, then your, your price is probably wrong. But if people are converting at that price, then wonderful. But you, you're probably going to have to throw it out there a number of times before it hits. Yeah, it makes so much yeah. sense. And it's also like there is a market, right? Like if I were to put my house on the market, I can look up this zip code, the square footage and like, I'm not making it up out of thin air. Like there is a cost of like, this is what it's made of. This is where it's sourced, all that stuff. If people forget that. So I love what you're saying. And, and I think it's, you know, I think it goes back to 
people don't get that there's a buyer at every price. People think of the lowest common denominator and they're like, I don't want to be mean because there's going to be people who can't afford it. It's like, correct, right? Correct. Like there will be people who cannot go to Whole Foods and Air One. That's true. And there will be people who do. There will then be ways in which places like Air One and Whole Foods can maybe give back where they're not even asking to be paid. They can just maybe give away for people who can't, which this is what I see women like you guys doing though. I see both happening at the same time. I see there being, I mean, we can segue actually into the podcast with this because a podcast is free and it's amazing how much people can grow. It's like literally having a masterclass consistently every single week. And you wouldn't be able to do that and give away that kind of free content if you didn't have something that actually fed you that you could then help inspire other women and all so on and so forth. So let's talk about the podcast because I think it's a good thing to, to mention here. And also this the whole focus of the podcast, Superwomen. What made you want to start a podcast when you are very busy? And what are you hoping that the listener takes away from it? I wanted to start a podcast because probably several years prior, I was again, lonely and so sick of the fashion industry parties where the only conversation was about a review that they might've gotten. And I started throwing these dinners where I was just getting women of different industries together. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is great, but my customer should probably get to get a taste of this. So I started hosting live events in my store where I would interview these women and then I would bring them into my offices and have my staff hear them. And then I was like, all right, this analog version is great, but this is not scalable. What is the best way to scale this? And so had the idea to start the podcast right actually around the time that we launched the Female Founder Collective. And my goal with this is I get to speak to such incredible women, some that you've already interviewed, like the Barbara Corcoran's of the world. But I want people to hear their vulnerabilities, their failures, you know, how they broke through glass ceilings, because I just don't feel that women hear it enough. And I think you can get into this cycle in, in your head of like, well, it was easy for them. And I still do that sometimes. And then I interview them. And I'm like, oh, it wasn't easy for them. Oh, maybe it's just not easy. You know, and I think it's that daily reminder of the grit that it takes to make it on your own or working for someone else. And you can come away knowing that the Katie Kirks of the world didn't have something handed to them or, you know, the Jessica Albas of the world were a sickly kid who turned into a public company. And so I think to hear so many different perspectives of I encountered struggle, I encountered failure and I'm here now. And so that's what I hope to inspire. And it does. And you're so down to earth and fun. You're like everyone's instant best friend. And that really is probably one of the most impressive things about you is like, you're just yourself in a really like endearing way. And yeah, I agree that it's important to show those possibilities because we will reach for the highest branch we see. And often we just don't have the model to see that it's even possible. And all of those things they do give you that model. And I know you had Bobby Brown on also, and she was on my show. And I love that. She's like, everyone should start as a waitress, you know? And it's like, she was a waitress, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, she went to Emerson and then she didn't know what she was going to do. And she was a waitress. So it's like, 
it's great that you're doing that. And I also, to segue into your awesome book that like just came out, you started that podcast before you started that podcast. I love hearing that story retold. I knew you had been doing some of that, like in your shop and then back at the office, but it's kind of the through line that like leads to the, what the title of the book is and what the book is kind of almost about. It's like, you're just always like, what's the next creative thing that would be fun to try. And then of course it turned into a podcast. Not that you knew that's what was going to happen, but that's what happened. So tell us about fearless, the new rules for unlocking creativity, courage, and success, which just came out. Tell us about that book and what that sort of number one take home message is that you hope people reading it receive. So I called it fearless, not because I expect you to read this book and magically your, your fear evaporates. My hope is that you pursue what you're doing and what you love in spite of it. And, you know, rather than chapters, I call it rules. I had to reinvent in order to succeed in my industry because the old way of working and doing business just simply didn't work for us as a company. It's not why we're here today. We broke so many rules, whether it was talking to our customer or working with influencers or transitioning to buying in season and, and all of the technology innovations. And it only helped our success. And so my hope for those reading it is, yes, you get my 20-year entertaining story, but you also have some guideposts that when you are scared, you have some solid things you can refer back to that will help you and that you'll recognize that emotion it's hardwired into us to keep us safe from danger, physical danger only, you know, mentally abusive, maybe danger, right? It's not meant as an emotion to stop us from doing what we want to do. So you can recognize it and be like, screw you fear. I'm going to keep going. And that's my hope. Oh, it's so good. And you talk a lot about your approach to, to fear and, and how you push through it. And you just mentioned it a little bit, but can you tell us two things? One, what's been the biggest thing you've struggled with in terms of what scared or scares you? If it's the same, it might be the same still. I'm a people pleaser. So mine's always the same. And then tell us a little bit more, a baby bit more about what we will learn about in the book in terms of that specific part about the approach to not having fear drive the bus. So you might think I'm crazy, but the things that scare me now are not actually anything based in reality. Anything business-wise at this point, because I do it so often and we take a lot of risks, doesn't scare me. I'm scared of killers on a camping trip. I'm scared of sharks and lakes. I'm scared of zombies. So I can't tell you that I have a rational fear other than, you know, of course, a mother's fearful of her children getting injured or stolen. But in business, I don't experience fear in that way anymore. I actually now am addicted to the risk-taking adrenaline that I get. And it wasn't always that way. And again, doesn't happen overnight. But after years and years of doing all these things that the naysayer said, you're screwing yourself. You're going to go out of business this way. What are you doing? I'm like, it's only gotten us into a better position. So now I don't, I don't experience that. But what I would say is, and I briefly mentioned it when I talked about an engineer, you know, reframing failure. If it's sometimes you win, sometimes you learn, then failure is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And again, if you're at Apple doing a code and that code doesn't work, it goes into a failure funnel. You know, he's not crying under his desk. 
going into a shame hole. So you made a mistake. You know, I think the best thing I could say is what did you learn and take responsibility for it? You know what? I was wrong. I tried it. Oops. And, and the more you do that, it's like a muscle. You know, if you want to have an ab, you got to go do more than one sit up a week. So you keep using this muscle and it will get stronger. So good. Last question. And Allie, if you want to answer it, I'm curious also what you would say, and then we'll wrap it up. But in Rebecca's book, one thing that she talks about, which you can both speak to is reaching your goals, no matter how unattainable they might seem. And you've both done that over and over where there was something that maybe seemed like a stretch. And then it literally was just, it was reality. And Rebecca gave us an example of that, even with just like the podcasting that she was doing, which didn't even seem like to someone listening, like a stretch, but in that moment, it seemed like what she was going to ask for might not be the easiest thing to attain. And then yes, it was. So what do you think about that? Cause that is for sure something. I think the number one thing that stands for people in their way is two lies. I'm not enough or it's not possible. So we, we've been talking about a lot of these different aspects, but what about when it just doesn't seem possible? What do we do to reach something like that? So I talk about this in the book. I'm not of the mindset that you should do something doggedly, stubbornly and refuse to quit. I'm a firm believer that you can try something that frankly, maybe no one wanted or liked. And so fail fast, you know, figure out and be open to critical feedback that can help you pivot and do something that will work. If you look at just a couple of examples, Instagram was like a company that people could show off their travel photos and became famous when girls could show their avocado toast, you know? So I think find the traction. I had to close down my clothing line because the bag took off. I didn't stubbornly go, but this is my dream and I need to be the next great whoever Chanel for my clothing. I was like, cool, humble pie, but the bag is working. Let me do this. And I can always go back to it. So I think recognizing when it's not working, figuring out where the momentum is and pouring the coals on that. I love that. So good. Okay, Allie, your turn and then we'll wrap up. So I ran track in college and it taught me actually probably my best life lessons. And one of them was around goals, right? Our coach would be like, here's your number. This is the time you have to hit for this particular event. And it felt impossible. Like you were saying, you're, you're like, I physically cannot do that. <laughs> so what we would do and what he would always talk about is, is baby steps, right? Is if you sort of chunk your goal into these much smaller goals, it feels a lot more achievable. And all of a sudden you lift your head up and you're like, oh, wow, I, I just did that. And in terms of business, you know, that's the approach that I like to take is you're never looking at like, here's my year long goal. And then hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, I get there. You're actually looking at it on a weekly basis, right? Like what does that break down to so that you never get so far from achieving it and then like look up and and say, oh my gosh, I'm not even close you're actually looking at the smaller micro goals that lead up to something much bigger and it doesn't feel so overwhelming. And and you actually feel really good about yourself when you do achieve it. I, I liken it to, I ran a marathon or in a race when you would just pass one person that 
gave you validation. It gave you that extra boost of energy of like, oh, wow, I just achieved something. So it's like, instead of saying I need to pass 300 people, it's like, I need to pass one person. And then after that, I need to pass one more person. And then it's like just these little wins and moments where you're patting yourself on the back instead of just saying like, I have this huge goal that feels very unachievable. I love, love that answer because when you do break it down, then this question of like, how do you achieve something that seems unattainable? It's like, no, no, this next step is attainable. Like you can get out of bed and make your bed and then you can do this and then you can do this right. and so on and so forth. It's great. This conversation was so helpful and so fun and so inspiring. So tell us, we will put all of this in the show notes too, but in case people are listening and not looking, tell them where they can find the collective, the new launch of the membership, the podcast and the book. So femalefoundercollective.com actually has, will guide you to the 10th house, um, which is on our membership page. So if you guys just navigate over there, um, you can also find us on Instagram under that same handle, as well as on LinkedIn. Awesome. And Rebecca, your podcast can be found everywhere. Yes. It's super women with Rebecca Minkoff, wherever you listen to your podcast. And the book is sold Amazon target, Hudson news, the strand Indies, books, a million Barnes and Noble it's out there. And if you, I'm giving you guys a special offer. If you email me your receipt from wherever you buy the book and tell me that you're a fan of you, uh, fearless at rebeccaminkoff.com. I'll give you 25 bucks credit on my site. So it's a win-win. It's a free book, essentially. That's for you guys only. It's so cool. We've done 450 episodes. I think you're the second person ever to do anything like that. And my audience, let her know, let her know that you appreciated that because they do. You're so, I told you, I said before, endearing, likable. Thank you for showing up looking so good on a Zoom call. I wore a jacket for you. And um, I'm so happy that you guys are doing what you're doing to help all of us go further and faster together. It's awesome. Thank you for this. So much fun hanging out with Rebecca and Allie. Here are the takeaways. Number one, expand your knowledge base. You don't need to know everything, but know how you can find the answers. Be nimble, innovate, and ask specific questions to the right person. Number two, don't drink the Kool-Aid that says you need to be a billionaire on all the magazine covers. You can thrive with a small, profitable business that funds your lifestyle, makes you happy, and allows you to stay true to yourself. Number three, take the emotion out of rejection. It's just a numbers game to get to the one yes. Go far and wide. Number four, find the cliff jumpers who can yank you off the edge and be your parachute. Once you jump off the cliff, that's where you find the magic of your creativity and grit. Number five, when it comes to the pricing, throw out the number that makes you want to vomit. Number six, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Reframe failure as an opportunity to ask yourself what you learned and take responsibility for it. Number seven, fail fast, eat the humble pie, and be open to critical feedback that can help you pivot to something that will work. When you find out where the momentum is, pour the coals on that. And number eight, take baby steps. Turn the huge goal into little wins and moments so you can pat yourself on the back. So I've got something really fun. We have a free workbook that we made for you guys. So you can get a list of the takeaways from this episode, plus some action-oriented questions that will help you put these lessons into tangible results. If you want to download that free workbook, you can get it at kathyheller.com slash 472. And that's the number 472 because 
This is our 472nd episode of the podcast. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. And to keep yourself accountable, to actually follow through, tell a friend to listen to the episode and go through the workbook with you. This way you can start a conversation about what you learned, what next steps you want to take. And then together you can check in on each other and make sure you're actually putting this into practice. It's so important for us to surround ourselves with people who can support us and be there to help us through all of our resistance, just like Rebecca and Allie have done that for each other. So one more time, you can get that workbook at kathyheller.com slash 472. Okay. Now I want to shout out one of our alumni from Made to Do This, Lucy. She said, this post is about shining light on many of the Made to Do This creatives all at once. At the end of the January course, Halea Archer reached out about her idea of creating a virtual art exhibition for the talented creatives that connected during the amazing experience. Halea wanted this to be about artists having the courage to show their work without fear of judgment, confidence to shine, and support to help them work through the doubts that may have held them back due to something like this otherwise. On the back of this call, Linda Abel, Jordana Rani, and I joined forces with Halea to create this event, the Soul Creative Collective Inaugural Art Exhibition. We will have more than 20 of our artists from Made to Do This sharing their work on Friday the 16th of July from the States, England, Australia, and New Zealand. We would love you to join us for this virtual experience that will celebrate the many talents of these amazing women. Feel free to glam up and grab a glass of wine if you fancy. And of course, please share this event with any art lovers you know. This is so special in so many ways to all the women involved. They are choosing to say yes and put their heart and soul out there on display. Something not to be missed. Oh my goodness. I love this so much to all the phenomenal women behind this event. You guys are incredible. I'm so proud of you. And I know it's just going to be such a great life-giving experience for everyone there. If you want to be there for this amazing event, join their Facebook group. It's called Soul Creative Collective Inaugural Virtual Art Exhibition. Creative is spelled without the E and you can find out more details there. Thank you so much for being here. I know that you're so busy, so it means just the world that you take time to listen to the show. We have incredible episodes coming up, so please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify wherever you listen. Don't forget, we have that incredible workbook for you at kathyheller.com slash 472. That's a free resource that we made for you guys. I think you're going to love it. And I'd love for you to go get a friend so you guys can talk about this and put your heads together and do the workbook together, help each other move forward towards your dreams. Feel free to share what you learned, what action you took from listening to this podcast. You can post about it on Instagram and tag me at kathy.heller. You can also tag Rebecca Minkoff. She's at Rebecca Minkoff and Allie is at Allie KY at seven, because I know that they're going to just want to see how much this conversation has impacted you. I love you guys. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you tomorrow.
We're swimming through a sea of twinkly lights. These are the 